Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Room and Room Podcasts. My name is Charlotte Westwood. I'm a vet and nutritionist based with the PGG Rights and Seeds team here at Kimberhere Research Centre, Lincoln and Canterbury in New Zealand. Now, if you're new to these uh, podcasts, this is just one episode in a series of podcasts that aim to provide some information about all things ruminant. That is the nutrition, a little bit of animal health, and the grazing management of ruminant animals, which of course includes cattle, sheep, deer, and goats. Though, to be fair, we haven't done any deer or goat episodes yet. But anyway, in this episode, we're going to cover off one of a two-part series looking specifically at the nutrition of heavily in lamb ewes just before they lamb down. And we're going to talk about not only the feeding of them, but also one specific nutritionally based animal health challenge that can sometimes affect our heavily in lamb ewes. And that's the condition that you might have heard about called pregnancy toxemia. More often here in New Zealand we'll refer uh, to that as sleepy sickness, but a little bit more about that shortly. Now, as always with our podcasts, what we'll plan to do is to tackle this topic by stepping through a range of sections about a number of things to do with the condition pregnancy toxemia that is, is set up largely by the nutrition of these heavily in lamb ewes. So in this, our first part of a two-part series about feeding ewes through lambing, we'll talk specifically about the condition known as pregnancy toxemia, or pregtox, I'll shorten that up to. And then in the second of this two-part series, what we'll do is we'll talk about the all-important part of the prevention of pregnancy toxemia, and just in general the things that we're aiming to do when we start to plan to set ewes up really, really well through lambing, not only to prevent pregnancy toxemia, but also to make sure that ewes are well set up to ensure good survival of their lambs and then good live weight performance by the lambs when they're at foot with mum between lambing and weaning. That said, let's get part one of this two-part series underway, looking specifically at the condition of pregnancy toxemia. Now what we'll do is we'll first define just what pregtox is, uh, for those of you that haven't heard of it before, or sleepy sickness, and why it sometimes occurs in some of your ewes. Second up in this podcast, we'll review some of the clinical signs that you may well expect to see if, sadly, your ewes are presenting with clinical signs of pregtox. The third point we'll cover off in this current podcast is briefly how you can potentially treat any ewes that present with pregnancy toxemia. But as always with the Room and Room podcasts, we will stress that when we're talking about animal health conditions, that this podcast is very much of a general nature, and we'd rather you spoke to uh, your own vet, who obviously knows you, knows your flock, uh, knows your individual sheep, much better than a general podcast of our nature. So please, we'll never replace the need for the input of your very own local vet. Let's get this, our latest podcast, underway. First up, let's define what pregnancy toxemia in late pregnancy is. Or in other words, during late gestation, those very last few weeks before a pregnant ewe lambs down. 
Now, in simplistic terms, pregnancy toxemia is simply a mismatch between the nutrient demands of the unborn lambs inside mum's tum compared with the ability of your ewe to supply enough nutrients from her very own blood supply through the placenta to match the needs of what those rapidly growing and maturing as yet unborn lambs need. So essentially when we see pregnancy toxemia, it means that the ewe hasn't been able to keep up with the, uh, enough nutrients supplied through the placenta and specifically glucose as the main nutrient here through to what the lambs need. And because the lambs, unborn lambs, take priority over nutrients, including glucose, but other things like amino acids, that goes through the placenta despite what the ewe needs herself. So good old mum, she's looking after her unborn lambs and she is unable to look after nutrients supply for her very own needs. Look, these unborn lambs, they're really like big woolly parasites, if you'd like, inside the ewe's tum. So yeah, with lambs taking priority access, all the glucose that mum has, up to 40% of that glucose is taken by her unborn woolly parasites inside, but also the needs of the uterus and the placenta. And of all of our ewes, of course, it's our triplet-bearing ewes, those that have got three lambs inside mum's tum. And when you've got three of these small woolly parasites on board, those uh, triplet-bearing ewes are living life on a continual knife edge as far as the risk of not being able to eat enough nutrients to support the needs of those unborn uh, parasites, woolly parasites, inside mum's tum. So it's the triplets that are at greatest risk, but as you guys will well know, sometimes we can see pregnancy toxemia in not only twins, but very occasionally even in single-bearing ewes as well. So to sum that ramble up, if you like, what pregtox is, it's a direct result of a negative energy balance. But as I said before, it's actually a negative nutrient balance because it's the insufficient supply of all nutrients, uh, but predominantly glucose, to those lambs at the expense of the ewe missing out. Now just to back the bus up here, I'm talking about pregnancy toxemia, and as I mentioned, um, that sleepy sickness is also a term for this problem in pre-lambing ewes, but I guess this condition must simply win the proverbial Kiwi Chocolate Fish Award, which overseas listens, that just means like gets top marks for having so many different names and terminology for what is essentially the same condition. Whilst here in New Zealand we tend to call pretox like a sleepy sickness, overseas, oh my goodness, there are so many names to describe the same condition, and this probably isn't all encompassing, but names that, that I've become aware of over the years includes ketosis, twin lamb disease. Antipartum eclampsia, Ooh, that's a good name. Another one's OPT, otherwise known as ovine pregnancy toxemia, and I suspect that listeners will have a whole lot of other terminologies that we haven't even managed to list here today. But look, whatever you'd like to call it, pregtox, uh, all good by us, but for the sake of the podcast, I'll stick to pregtox, if you'll forgive me, as a shortened up version of pregnancy toxemia, so I don't keep falling over pregnancy toxemia as a tongue twister. So I hope you're okay with pregtox. Moving on, what's the estimated incidence of pregnancy toxemia, pregtox in New Zealand ewes? Well, there's a lot of it's unknown because a lot of you farming here in New Zealand probably don't 
record the numbers of views that you uh, lose to PregTox, but also more importantly, even if you do record numbers, they probably fall generally under annual U mortality numbers uh, in terms of, of U losses. And here in New Zealand, in terms of overall U mortality, of which pregnancy toxemia contributes um, some of those, 5% of U's lost every year through to 40%. Wow, wouldn't want to be working at that end of it. Those estimates have actually formed part of some really awesome research done by Kate Griffiths from Massey University with her PhD, and that's available online if you're interested in exploring further some of the numbers around ewe mortality and ewe losses in New Zealand. As far as what proportion of ewe deaths or losses are actually going to be due to pregtox, again, disclaimer, we're really not too sure, but some of the overseas work suggests that more for housed ewes or more intensively managed ewes than necessarily what we do here in New Zealand, Overseas, pregtox could contribute to up to 40% of annual ewe mortality numbers. Not sure if that's, uh, you know, the, the numbers in New Zealand, and of course we lose ewes from a whole range of other conditions aside from pregtox, and could be misadventures, um, you know, ewes falling over bluffs, drowning, uh, getting cast, lambing difficulties, or dystochia, good old pneumonia that flares up potentially if it's been chronic pneumonia flaring up around lambing. And as, fit, uh, as well as that, there's obviously other causes like salmonellosis and parasitism and use it pot bearings out and all those sorts of things. So long story short, we don't really know uh, the numbers for pregtox here in New Zealand. Well, in terms of pregtox as a condition, in New Zealand it's considered there's two syndromes or two types of pregtox that you'd like um, that, that appear here in New Zealand where almost all of our ewes lamb outside, outside outdoors. And overseas there's other definitions as well, but let's just keep it simple with two syndromes here in New Zealand. Now the first syndrome that we see is what we define as the undernutrition syndrome, which as the name suggests occurs when ewes that are particularly in the last six weeks or so of pregnancy, particularly when they're carrying twins or triplets, and those over a prolonged period of time uh, inadvertently fed less and less feed or are una unable to consume enough feed as lambing approaches. So this syndrome is all about the feeding side of it. And as a result here at the Room and Room, we'll be focusing more on this syndrome than the second one that I'll talk about shortly. It might be simply that users set stock for lambing onto limited amounts of pasture. And as they lamb and get through lambing, obviously they just run out of feed. And we'll talk more about this shortly. And then the second pregtox syndrome to acknowledge here is what we'd define as the stress syndrome. Which again, look, you'll agree that's pretty descriptive uh, and self-explanatory. So in these situations, you nutrition might actually be really, really good. You've done your feed budgeting, you're offering uh, you'll use decent amounts of good quality feed, but then the ewes are stressed for whatever reason. And as I mentioned before, here in New Zealand, where pretty well all of our ewes lamb down outdoors with a few exceptions, quite often that's to do with the weather. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this and other causes of stress, including prolonged yarding um, events, you know, maybe pre-lamb shearing that's been done a bit too late, yarding for clostridial disease vaccination and whatnot. We're going to get into that, which is more the practical sides of preventing pregtox in podcast number two. So 
take a look at that, tune into that one uh, if you're less interested in some of the more nuts and bolts about pregtox as a specific syndrome, but you just want to cut to the chase and get into what do I do to prevent it. If you suspect that your heavily in lamb ewes are presenting with some signs of pregtox, either clinical or maybe you're seeing some subclinical signs, like, like a lot of lamb losses despite the weather being pretty pretty okay through lambing, what are we going to be looking for? When we're looking through um, set stocked ewes, if you are doing a lambing beat, and not all of you will, and, and certainly appreciate that because obviously they're sometimes best to their own, left to their own devices and us messing with them, but if you are doing a lambing beat, clearly the risk factors we're looking for are those super full gutted ewes that just look massive. You might have had to uh, stand a, or tip a couple up that have got casts that are that big. It's those big gutted multiple bearing ewes who are obviously going to be the greatest risk. Now multiple lambs on board inside mum's tum are risk factors not only because of course they have a greater demand for uh, glucose and other goodies but as well as that uh, there's a range of different hormonal changes going on inside these multiple bearing ewes compared to the ones only carrying singles. So greater demand for nutrients, there's some different weird hormonal changes happening around insulin and cortisol and other stuff and of course in the last six weeks of pregnancy and especially those last couple of weeks of pregnancy those multiple lambs on board inside mum's tum they obviously take up a lot of room inside mum's tum and the poor old rumen often can't fit enough eaten grass or other feeds inside to even come close to supporting the needs of those lambs. So there's just not enough room and capacity. And when we think about the fact that those lambs are increasing in size by a whopping 60%, those lambs are growing over the last six weeks of pregnancy. It's a lot of nutrients that mum needs to support that. And of course that rumen is really getting crushed um, up against the diaphragm. There's just not enough room to stuff nutrients in. So back to the signs of pregtox, we mentioned before that the uh, at-risk you, she maybe wanders off on her own away from a mate, she's looking a bit lost, she might look a little bit vacant, lights on, no one's home, sometimes might get a little bit, bit weak and wobbly on, on her feet, sometimes in the back end. Now she's not necessarily, as we said, looking for a place to lie down to start the lambing process. Rather she's just blundering around at a little bit of a loss what to do with herself. She's really not doing anything useful. Now she may not be trying to eat at all, or if she does have her head down, chances are she's actually blundering, mouthing away at pasture or supplementary feeds or, or just at vague ob objects, edges of troughs or something she's having we chew on. And she's not actually eating anything, which obviously is not helping when she's already short of nutrients and likely running out of glucose. Now if you very quietly and cautiously uh, approach her, there's a risk that she's starting to go blind. She may not be entirely blind yet, but if she's fully blind and she can't see you, that is an important sign of pregtox. It's a sign of other things like vitamin B1 deficiency and other things, but if she's got lots of lambs on board, she's getting close to lambing, chances are that blindness is a sign of pregtox. And of course the poor old girl, she's going to be pretty confused 
and her ears will be twitching around because she knows you're near, near her. She can hear you, but she can't see you. And she won't necessarily move away from you because she can't see you. Now, if she feels the urge to move and she can't see well, she's obviously going to be at risk of tipping into fences, um, into gullies and all sorts of things. If there's gullies at the end of nice uh, flat uh, lambing areas, hopefully you're not set stock near gullies. But, you know, she's at risk of misadventure because she can't really see where she's going. Now, as well as that, if you've already seen some of these signs, uh, tune in with your listening. Um, yes, take those earpods out. Stop listening to podcasts and music. Have a good listen because she may well be doing some teeth grinding. That's because she's in pain. She might have been down already and got up again and, and she's been uncomfortable. So they'll grind teeth and they may also show just white froth at the mouth as well. Another sign of pregtox. Now, if you're not able to catch and treat her at this stage, unfortunately, if we do nothing, this condition is progressive, which means she's just over time, and it's not necessarily hours, but days of the progression of this disease process. She'll get more sad and flat, more depressed. She's stopped eating. She just goes into a downward spiral. Those lambs are still churning away their metabolic processes and growing, at the expense of her and because she's unable to graze obviously she's going down a slippery slope pretty fast and I guess this dopey and sleepy presentation of progression of disease is why here in New Zealand but I know other parts of the world too will sometimes call pregtox sleepy sickness she's sick and she's sleepy which is pretty descriptive eh now as the condition sadly continues uh, to progress she'll show more and more nervous or neurological signs um, she might look twitchy or tremory with the muscles of her face. As I said before, still grinding those teeth, but she might progress to actually chomping her jaws, chomp, chomp, chomp. And you might sometimes, not always, but you might sometimes see her doing what we call stargazing, as its name suggests, like arching her head back, looking, looking skyward up at the stars, literally. Uh, or sometimes her head might be off to one side and she's just continuous, that aimless Walking vaguely or even in circles, but remembering circling diseases, uh, sometimes also called listeriosis, which um, comes from poor quality silage, another story, another day. But yeah, there's other things that can cause these clinical signs. So don't always presume it's pregtox, and this is why I'm going to continue to drop those disclaimers in saying, if in doubt, get vet support in to confirm pregtox, and often that's by ruling out through collection of good feeding history and management history, um, or sometimes bloods or, or a full clinical examination to confirm that it is pregtox, which is why don't, don't take away diagnoses from our podcast, please do talk to your vet. But anyway, back to these poor old girls that if we haven't treated, they're on the slippery slope of continuing to worsen. Sadly, those uh, neurological conditions will progress possibly through to convulsing, they're down, they're out flat, um, you know, they'll lie there still and then convulse again. And the sad thing is for these users, look, they don't die quickly, which is just awful. And they may continue to deteriorate. And they reach what's called a metabolic acidosis from ketones, which are acids uh, that, that put too much acid into the blood. And as well as that, sadly, her internal organs, particularly her kidneys, um, liver as well, start to shut down before she lapses into a coma. And often at the, at the terminal stage, the lambs have died inside. So whilst ironically the lamb's dying in the short term, she may pick up and perk up again. 
obviously as those lambs um, start to, to go off inside mum's tongue, we start to get some infection and then some septicemia and things. So, so that's the sad progression, which is why if you suspect this is pregtox, a degree of urgency to jump in and treat these ewes very early on in the progression of disease and you're more likely to save the ewe and obviously if the ewe's down and, and certainly if she's combed out it, it's sadly getting less likely you'll be able to save her. This is obviously assuming you're doing a regular lambing beat in full respect um, to many of you don't do that anymore but I guess this is where if you do want to become more proactively involved in perhaps doing a lambing beat maybe uh, if you've split your, your triplet bearing ewes out on your own and you might be leaving your twins and singles to their own devices or maybe you're running twins triplets together and you're leaving your singles to their own devices and there's not a one size fits all eh? Pregnancy toxemia is wholly solely seen pre-lambing. It's very unusual to see pregnancy toxemia post-lambing and most metabolic diseases in sheep are pre-lamb which is usually the opposite to uh, like dairy cows where most of the problems occur post-calving. That said, if a pregtox ewe is still doing okay pre-lambing and she actually starts to lamb, the presence of ketones and not enough uh, blood glucose means that we have a condition called uterine inertia, which just means that the uterus runs out of grunt or runs out of strength to push lambs out. So we have a greater risk of these ewes not lambing, and a prolonged lambing obviously means we're more likely that she'll give birth to dead lambs. As well as that, as we mentioned before, because the lambs haven't had enough nutrients inside mum's tum, the lambs can be smaller, although there's other things that cause small lambs, so get your vet involved about that if you're throwing a lot of small lambs. And with pregtox ewes, um, their lambs are less likely to survive that critical first 24 hours or even 48 hours. So lamb wastage, more wet dries, will be a problem if we've got pregtoxemia uh, coursing through the flock. Now as well, because of the ketotic disease process of pregtox, a ewe's immune system has had a bit of a hard time through that pre-lambing phase. And because of that, her immune system gets a bit smashed around. So her ability to fight disease becomes more of a problem. And we're more likely to have conditions such as mastitis or metritis, in other words, infections, because pregtox suppresses the immune system. Also why they can sometimes hold on to their, um, their cleanings after they land, because we need a competent immune system to be able to drop her cleanings. The other thing we mentioned before is if she does manage to recover from pregtox and, and lamb successfully and get through lambing, the ultimate sort of final straw, I suppose, for our highly productive system is that she won't produce as much good quality colostrum. And even when she heads through to peak lactation a number of weeks post lambing, she's not going to produce as much milk. So yeah, less milk means lighter live weights uh, for your lambs at tailing or docking and, and they'll wean lighter as well, which means they're going to be on farm for longer. More likely they're going to go store or they're going to be with you for a prolonged period of time into the autumn, which none of us really appreciate that. Now, before we move away from signs of pregtox, the other crazy thing that you might sometimes notice if you haven't um, pre-lamb shorn and she's in full wool and 
she's tipped over, she's cast, and you and you um, gently give her a help up. Sometimes, to be honest, a handful of wool is, you know, with a big heavy you, so you can get to, and you notice that you grab a handful of fleece to position her better, so she's comfy while you drench her or whatever, and a handful of fleece comes off. That is another sign, unfortunately, of that acute nutritional insult uh, that she's experienced in late pregnancy, in other words, pregtox. Particularly, not that wool's worth a lot, but uh, for fine wool, where, where fleece is still worth something, that obviously there's quite often a, a later wool break, that when you shear later, you notice a wool break that coincides with lambing. So that's another retrospective sign that nutrition's been a bit of a mission, uh, heading into lambing. As we promised at the start of this podcast, we said that we'd move on to a brief snapshot, like a high-level discussion around the treatment of Pregtox use, and this will then feed into the content of our second podcast in the two-part series that we're covering around nutrition of ewes pre-lambing, which is, of course, the the most important uh, you know, aspect of it, which is, of course, prevention of pregtox. But look, this third topic and, and finishing up in this current podcast is to do with treatment of ewes that you suspect has got uh, pregtox or sleepy sickness. But yet again, I know I'm sounding like a busted record here. It's a previous disclaimer that we've made that this high-level general discussion around treatment options for pregtox use will never, ever replace the excellent advice and uh, recommendations from your very own local vet. Everything's uh, different for all of us farming in different locations, both within New Zealand, but also the fact that half of our listeners are now tuning in from outside of New Zealand, and every situation's slightly different with different intricacies. And the other thing as well about getting your vet involved is that your vet will have some extra tools in their toolkit, if you'd like, from treatment options that we're not going to talk about here that are vet-only products. So, look, please, if you're getting a few too many pregtox cases, please do involve your local vet and don't just listen to general nature podcasts like this one. So please do remember this point, eh? I've gone on about it long enough. Fast forward, but you know what I'm saying. So anyway, back to some general options around treatment. Well, look, as we mentioned before, the key thing with pregtox is that if you do have to treat your pregtox or sleepy sickness use, you've got to go hard and go early and treat them urgently. So I bet any of you doing lambing beets have got a collection of goodies uh, on board your four-wheeler, uh, side-by-side or your ute, and you've got everything that you need. But it's a given make sure that at the very least you have some MPG, monopropylene glycol-based remedies such as ketol and of course calcium. So we'll talk a little bit more about this in more detail. Our treatment approach is of course to, as quickly and effectively as we can, increase blood glucose levels by supplying a glucose precursor, which means something that's broken down to glucose as soon as we can, because it's the combination of low blood glucose and high concentrations of ketone bodies uh, that's causing the signs of your use to be sleepy and sometimes sadly to progress to some of those neurological signs we talked about. So in terms of tools in the toolkit, in your side-by-side, your ute or whatever, the most important 
stuff to have on hand is the ability to drench the you. So maybe that's a couple of big syringes that you've picked up from your vets or whatever cunning plan that you use to drench them with a product that contains that MPG, monopropylene glycol. Now, what we like about monopropylene glycol is when it is uh, swallowed into the rumen of the U, it's quickly absorbed into the blood and is uh, carried off to the liver, where the liver then breaks that MPG down to blood glucose. It's like a gazillion morrow bars um, drenched in for an instant energy burst. But like if you're doing your lambing beat, I'm sure you wouldn't go out hungry with no stash of um, morrow bars or muesli bars or whatever you've got. So just think of MPG as liquid morrow bars for your you. Now in terms of the ideal dose that you'd give your you is 120 mils of your ketol or your MPG containing oral product, 120 mils on the first day of treatment. Now, in the ideal world, and, and because I use lamb outdoors and quite often set stocked over large areas, you may only be able to get to a ewe once today, the day that you, you find her. And so on that basis, uh, give her over a few syringefuls, the full 120 mil dose. If on the other hand, if you're a lifestyler or you have a really intensive lambing beat, Ideally, you'd actually split that 120 mils over two to three doses, like two doses of 60 mils in the day, or even three doses um, of 40 mils, just a little bit and often. But if you're only going to get back to this you once today, give her the full amount, 120. If you are going to drench her again tomorrow, you don't want to give her the full 120 mils again tomorrow. The uh, best practice from overseas recommendations is 120 mils on the first day and then 60 mils thereafter. And the other thing while we're talking about drenching with MPG, don't overdose it. Don't, don't think just because 120 mils is going to be good, then 240 must be better. You can overdose um, with keto and it can be a, a depressant on the U and make it go a bit sludgy. So we don't want that. We want her to uh, be perking up and getting uh, all energised. So yeah, not names dropping any product, but obviously Ketol's um, the standard one that's been around in New Zealand for 30 years or more, probably showing my age, but when I was a vet student, Ketol was around back then, but I'm not going to nominate how old I am. Now the key thing when you're giving oral drenches to any of the ruminant species of which are heavily in lamb you is but one, we need of course to be very careful drenching a ewe, particularly if she's down and she's sleepy and dopey because if they're right out to it like lights are on in no one's home we do of course have to be so careful to not get MPG you know ketol and the like down into the lungs instead of going down the food hole uh, and into the rumen so we do need to be careful with that don't have hold her head straight out as straight as you can because that, that opens up um, the back of the throat and increases likelihood of it of getting into the lungs. Don't use her like a funnel, don't hold her head back up high and tip it down. Um, just try and uh, squirt someone bit by bit and encourage her to swallow, you know, rubbing under the jaw and just trying to get her swallowing. Now, while we're talking about blood glucose, and this is something I'd rather you did after talking to your vet rather than listening to us random types on podcasts, is that if you happened to be handy at finding the used jugular vein, uh, you could consider running a small amount of intravenous, in other words IV, 40% dextrose into your jugular vein, but only as recommended around 
should you use this approach or not. It's not always going to be the case for some use because your vet really has to advise you on this. But the idea is that in combination with this is instead of using MPG or ketol, we do have to be careful. Again, some thoughts in the veterinary profession is that sometimes we can cause more harm than good with dextrose, particularly if you use really out to it, because ironically in the end stage of disease, blood uh, glucose levels have already gone high, so we don't necessarily want to use dextrose. So mentioning this, but I'd rather please, before you went ahead and did this, that you talk to your vet, and if in doubt, just use MPG and don't use IV dextrose. It might be contraindicated in some situations. Now, another point around what needs to be stashed in your, your kit when you're doing your um, lambing beet, if that's what you're doing, is acknowledging the fact that based on overseas data is that around about 20% of ewes with pregtox or sleepy sickness, 20% in overseas situations can also have a low blood calcium. So again, preferably talk to your vet first, but many of you may already have your own standardizers approaches to treating, treat, uh, treating sleepy sickness, which would be running a, a product under the skin over the ribs. Any of your, your uh, products that contain what we call calcium boroglucanate or CBG, uh, won't name any proprietary products because there's a huge range of them out there, but if you're going to run something under the skin, follow the, the dose rate instructions for that particular product because all of them contain uh, different levels of calcium per mill or per litre of product with the aim to boost the used level of blood calcium. Now, it could be that, that pregtox occurred secondary to hypo, low calcemia, calcium in the blood, low blood calcium, so I don't know which one's come first, the chicken or the egg, but uh, if in doubt, you may choose, again advised by your vet, to assume that your pregtox use also have a degree of low blood calcium. Something else that sometimes gets advised is, is an injection of vitamin B12, advocated by some people. Now, there's no scientific evidence to show that vitamin B12 helps. Are you affected by pregtox? Talk to your vet about this. The science isn't there, but some people swear by it and... To be honest, uh, it's probably not going to do any harm if you choose to do that. And something else, again, based on vet advice, because this will be a vet-only product, uh, certainly as here in New Zealand, would be to treat the ewe, particularly if she's been off her feet, she's been cast, you've got her up or she's going down again, would be to give her some um, an anti-inflammatory product. Again, leave that product recommendations up to your vet. In fact, if the vet's comfortable to uh, provide that to you, just to make that you feel a little bit better because it's a, it's pretty awful, full gutter lambs, she's been down, could have done a little bit of muscle damage um, if she's been down overnight, pretty miserable way. So if we can give you something that makes you feel a bit uh, more picked up and happy with the world, then your vet can give you more information about that as well. Now there's always a question about once you've treated the you, what do we do with her? Well, to be honest, from a stress point of view, because remember stressing her, her blood cortisol levels go up and that can actually make her worse with pregtox. To be honest, often it's best to leave her with her mates in the paddock. Now, it's, there's some real pros and cons about this, but obviously sheep are social creatures that don't like being on their own, so I don't think picking her up and sticking her in a paddock next to the wool sheds on her own is going to do her any favours at all to be honest even though ideally we're, we're taking her out of the wind and rain but wherever if you do pick her up obviously she really needs to go somewhere where she's got some mates 
they don't like to be on their own. So, look, the decision on leaving or where she is depends very much on what the weather's like currently and what the forecast is like over the next couple of days. And also, you know, if she weighs 100 kilos with triplets and fluids and uterus and placenta on board on top of a, a big maternal weight on her own, yeah, I don't think I could pick up a 100 kilo you and chuck her on the back of the side by side anyway. So there's a few practicalities there as well, eh? Again, your vet's your number one uh, person to go to for ideas around treating with pregtox, and please don't override what they say uh, with this podcast, just some ideas. The other option too, particularly if you have a, a well-loved you, if you're a, a lifestyler tuning into this podcast uh, or on the stud side of it, you've really got some a valuable you with some potentially valuable ram lambs on board uh, or whatever, of course you can do a caesarean section on a you to not only remove the nutritional burden on that ewe by removing her unborn lambs but also to save those lambs as I say if, you, if you're a stud and you've got what you perceive as to be very valuable lambs on board. To be fair it's not a common approach in New Zealand for commercial flock ewes but nonetheless we just certainly do acknowledge the value of a caesarean to help save that individual ewe and her lambs um, particularly if she's still reasonably bright and well and those lambs are still very much alive and on board inside her. That's part one of some of the challenges for heavily in-lamb multiple bearing ewes pre-lamb. This is part of a two-part series around nutrition pre-lamb. And to recap, in this episode, we've talked about the mismatch of nutrient demand and supply. In other words, negative energy balance or negative nutrient balance in ewes during late pregnancy. And also the role of either chronic underfeeding and briefly we talked about stress as well. Most often climatic stress during late winter and early spring here in New Zealand for our ewes that lamb predominantly outdoors. We talked about some of the signs that you might see in your ewes affected by pregtox and maybe the, some of the subtleties around little lambs, lambs that don't get up and have a feed, um, lambs that don't have a lot of brown fat, reserves if you do post-mortem some of your lambs that haven't survived the birth process or the first 24 hours of life and those sorts of things so the other thing we finished up with was a very general discussion about some potential different approaches to treating pregtox and ewes but acknowledging that your vet is the number one source of information in that regard but anyway hope you've found something of interest to ponder further from this episode while you're in the tractor or doing your lambing beat or uh, maybe doing a little bit of pre-lamb shear or listening in while you're tailing or docking. Hope it's filled the time on uh, otherwise what's been a busy day for you. But just a reminder, do tune in for part two of this two-part series where we'll talk in a more practical sense about how do we not only aim to reduce the risk of pregtox in multiple bearing use pre-lamb, but also just some general high-level ideas about how we should try to do our very best to set use up really well from a nutritional and management point of view to lamb down well not only from the use point of view with plenty of colostrum on board hopefully to lactate well and therefore so that you can actually get better lambs at weaning you know always aiming to, to of course to potentially get some prime lambs away off mum directly at weaning rather than having to finish those lambs or send them store. So more of a general nature, a little bit more gumboots on level coming in podcast number two. But in the meantime, uh, this has been Charlotte Westwood and on behalf of both myself, 
And of course, our ever loyal, supportive sponsors, PGG Rights and Seeds. We really hope that whatever you're out and about doing today, hope you have an amazing day out and uh, yeah, keep warm and dry through lambing. Hope the weather stays good for you. Cheers. Cheers.